Can I just start? Yeah. Cool. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. The Do More Good podcast. The Do More Good podcast. Do More Good podcast. We're in Nordwijk. All the way from Nordwijk. All the way from Nordwijk. How do I pronounce I, I don't know. <laughs> we are in Nordwijk for the 2023 International Fundraising Congress. And this is the Do More Good podcast. The Do More Good podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much. Right here we are, James, back again for another interview at the IFC 2023. We're in Amsterdam. It's still day one. I what? know. Day one and a half? I g- yeah, I guess so. Yeah, we're, we're some number of hours in. But we were saying just before we kicked off that from the moment you arrive here, it's all systems go. Yeah. Like we were just straight in talking to different people. It's, it's a real buzz around the conference centre, stroke hotel, and immediately yeah. 100 miles an hour. It's great. I had a confession to make, though. Oh. I did feel I just had a little bit of a dip after that session this afternoon. Yeah. And I thought, right, I'll come out of there. I know we've got another podcast to do. I'll go and grab a Red Bull from that w- Wondermart in yeah. reception. Five euros, five for a Red Bull. I was like, That's all of your pocket money, isn't exactly, it? Exactly. I better exactly. not be going on do more good expenses account. No, yeah. it, it certainly wasn't. It's I, only got I, four I euros it in it. I turned it down. So yeah, excuse <laughs> me if I'm not uh, as energetic as I would be with a Red Bull. But it's been a great day so far. We're you know continuing to really excite in it. We've had some great conversations. Yep. And looking forward to, to this evening and to the guests that we've got sitting here patiently waiting. Yeah, we are nearly at the end of uh, the kind of formal business stuff for the day, aren't we? We've we got are. one more hour of that. And then firmly, less business in the in the bar. Yeah. So shall I crack on with the introduction? Let's do that. Okay, not only delivering a session on how to become the fundraiser everyone wants on their team, our guest for this episode also conducted a masterclass here at IFC on leadership essentials to build diverse and resilient teams, which presumably every fundraiser wants to be a part of. When she's not delivering a very holistic selection of presentations, Helena Sharpston is the co-owner of the leadership and team development consultancy Sharpstone Skinner, where she brings her experience as a facilitator, mentor, coach, speaker and writer to improve performance and impact. Her LinkedIn profile details specialities including presentation skills and interview techniques, Should be scared, James. But it's not all about her work. Helena is also a keen volunteer, a COVID vaccinator, an ambassador for human rights causes, a baker for a homeless shelter, vice chair of governors for a school, plus a keen traveller, a keen spoiler of two cats, and keen obsessive collector of chili plants. Helena, go easy on us, and welcome to the Do More Good podcast. Hello, thank you. What an introduction, eh? The chili plants. Where does where does oh, this come from? Oh. You know, one of my children doesn't do things by halves <laughs> and will only grow things in the garden that he is prepared to eat. And so I've now got in my freezer enough chili to really to supply a hotel for the next three years. Um, I don't I don't even like chili, but I like him to be happy, so I let him grow what he wants to grow. It's, it's more important to keep the kids happy, I think. Yeah, isn't and it? if yeah. that you know if that means twenty-seven chili plants, then you just need to get on with it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Helena, we touched a little bit on in the intro about your background, the fact that you've been working with a number of different charities in leadership, in in a variety of kind of coaching skills. Where did it all start for you? What what can you tell us a bit about your background mm. and and how you've come to work in the not for profit and charity sector? It started miles away from the from this sector. So I started in sales. I'm a, I'm a salesperson. Can you tell? Yes. And 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 a sales manager. And I went into sales a really unhappy girl. And I kind of I wanted to kind of help people and 
all I was up against was targets and nasty people and shoulder pads because this was the mid 80s and I was quite good at it I was quite a good salesperson and one day I went on a training course and I thought this is it this is what I want to do I want to train people and they liked me and I managed to get a job as a training officer and that really launched my career and I worked in a number of commercial settings Mm. as a trainer, a training manager, a head of a training department and then one day I saw a job ad for a charity called Help the Aged and I thought well the money's a bit rubbish but you know the content seems quite nice and I went for an interview and you know how most decisions are made emotionally aren't they and I thought I just want to work here. I just want to work here. This is 1990. And I completely fell in love with the person who was going to be my line manager because I'd never been line managed nicely. And anyway, they offered me the job. We kind of did the maths and thought if we just like didn't eat for one week in four, we'd be okay. And that, and that was my entrance into the sector. And I worked for seven years for this fabulous charity, Help the Aged, that's now Age UK. Mm-hmm. That's when things changed for me, which I'll tell you about when you ask me the next question. Yeah. Brilliant. I like that start. I mean, it's clear there just from you talking about it that, that what a passion it still is for you mm. about that kind of learning and development coaching. That's a really nice point around line management. And we're going to come on to that as well, maybe in the second part of our, our conversation. But that spark of having somebody there that was going to look after you and coach you and bring you on yourself. Yes. was huge. Yeah. I'd never been well managed before. And so I, I didn't know what it looked like. And then suddenly I was well managed and thought more people need to know about this. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Mm. So you've talked a bit about when the kind of the, the specialist in training came from. It was this mm. first role. You'd, you'd taken a bit of a sales cut from this glamorous sales job where you were earning commission and you had a terrible boss, but you could yeah. earn good money to go and work in the charity sector. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that was like, that adjustment? And the reason I asked the question is because I think there's a lot of people who probably listen to this podcast who mm. probably sit outside of the charity sector that look at coming in. Yes. You know, th- there's a lot of people that want to make that transition into the charity sector. And as you've touched on, it doesn't always pay the best and it, and it can be a challenge to make that leap. But you get so much more out of the experience. Can you just talk us through how you adjusted from the old world to the new? I had never had a, a fantastic job and a fantastic group of people around me. I'd had great social jobs. You know, I used to work in bars and restaurants when I was a student. Mm. And I had a job that was well paid where I wasn't treated very well. And I'd never had the combination of both. So I had a really long honeymoon period where I just thought everything in the sector was perfect. <laughs> and of course, there's no sector that's perfect. But I think there was an adjustment to realise that there's a lot more creativity in this sector because we haven't always got resources. Mm. So there was an expectation that you would be on your hind legs being clever and creative in ways that I'd never seen before. And that was a bit of an adjustment. There was an adjustment for me, particularly in the way that I was managed, that I was trusted to do a job and given autonomy and told to get on with it and then kind of valued for my contribution. I wasn't sure about that. That took me a while. I remember filling in my expenses in pencil and giving them to my line manager who said, what are you doing? Why, you know, why are you doing this in pencil? Because I had come from a background where if you got it wrong, you got into trouble for it. Seriously. So initially, I thought, this is not for real. They're going to show their true colours soon. <laughs> so I would say there was an adjustment for me to understand what it's like to be trusted mm. and valued. Now, the sector's got its toxicity. The mm. sector's got its bad management and so on. But often people come into the sector from outside like me mm. 
to heal from some difficult experiences mm. and I think we tend to give back more because we, we find a better sector there was an adjustment but mm. it, for me mainly it meant better things positive yeah. mm. and even although you took a bit of a pay cut to come into the sector the things that you gain from that we're doing our jobs 15, 16 hours a day it mm. feels like we're constantly thinking about it or working on it there's a value in that that perhaps isn't monetary, but like you say, a better culture, a better fit, a being happier with yourself. Yes. A purpose. If yeah. we put a number on that, yeah. actually that would probably fill the gap and more. Yeah, I think it would. It also taught me what I was really motivated by because mm. I didn't know before because mm. uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't particularly happy. So it taught me why I really go to work. And whilst one needs a certain amount of money to survive, that wasn't the big driver for me. So that helped. Mm. Yeah. I'm interested really in that transition. And sorry, just to go back a bit about kind of sales because I personally came from more of a sales background as well before charity sector so I only joined the sector maybe eight nine years ago after working in sales for probably the first nine ten years of my career and I remember coming in that actually fundraisers who I was working with and I came straight into a fundraising manager job and I'd never done fundraising before but I'd somehow managed to sell myself into the to the hiring manager and convince them that without any experience in this field I've been working in sales for however long I could sell fundraising if I could sell whatever I was selling previously. And the point I'm trying to get to is I think there's so many transferable skills from sales over to fundraising, but the fundraisers don't like thinking of themselves as salespeople. Yes. And I remember at my at one of my earlier roles, I actually bought in a trainer who came from a traditional sales background, maybe a bit like yourself back in the, in mm. the day, to actually give some core fundamental sales training. And it actually yes. went down really well because it was a different thought process, a different some different things that people hadn't really thought about. But a lot of the principles are very similar or the same. Yes. But we just don't like that word sales in the charity sector, do we? No, no not particularly. I, I think fundraisers need to get over that. Mm. I, I always feel, I always say fundraisers are my people. So for me, fundraising is the best of sales and none of the worst. But mm. when you really break it down, really good sales is about listening. Mm. It's about being able to adapt it's about risk giving people the opportunity to contribute, yeah? And it's also about falling down, grazing your knees, getting up again and fighting another day. And no one's better than that, than fundraisers. Mm. So I, I think there's a massive parallel. What people associate selling with often is bad selling yeah. and bad selling experiences. But good, skilled selling and fundraising, I think, walk a very similar path. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So you spent seven years at Help the Ages. I did. And then decided to set up by yourself or rather in partnership yes uh, how did that decision come about and, and how did that transition then happen we had seven fantastic years and then we got a new chief exec and uh, as is often the case in in the sector and in other sectors they'll have a different point of direction and the route they wanted to take what we then called training and development in was not a route I wanted to go down and I, I started to go for interviews mm. actually and I went, okay, here's a quick story. I went for an interview as a bet and it backfired on me a little bit. I went for an interview for head of police force training at Avon and Somerset Constabulary in, right. the, in the west of the UK. And I got down to the final three and it was like a week of assessments. And by the end of that stage, I was getting seriously scared that they might appoint me because there's, no <laughs> there's no way I would have survived in that environment. And also I didn't want to relocate to, to Avonmouth. Anyway, I didn't get the job and the chief constable said to me, Mrs. Sharpstone, you are a very forthright young woman. Mm. I'm not sure how you would go down in our environment. And I was thinking, you, uh, listen, I, I, there's, you, I've got no argument with that. But So I didn't get the job, but I got down to the final three and I thought, you know what, if I can do that, I can work for myself. Mm. And I think ever since I was a teenager, I've always known that this is where my career is leading. Mm. So 
I went for another couple of interviews, got offered a couple of jobs and thought, I don't want this. And I went back to my boss, remember the one I fell in love with in 1990, who was on maternity leave at the time. And I said to her, I think I'm going to set up on my own. I cannot imagine not working with you. Finish having your baby. I'll get started and let's let's do this together. And that was 26 years ago. Wow. And two very frightened people we began. And 26 years on, it is one of the longest and most successful partnerships of my life. You know, yeah. so yeah. I, something that I value and treasure. And Sharpstone Skinner was born. I'm Sharpstone and she's Skinner. What a story. That's yeah. brilliant. Love that. It? You only bit you missed out on who was it that set the bet? To go and work with the police. <laughs> it Who was, was a, it was a friend saying, "No, no, it wasn't her. She didn't uh, know." But it was a friend saying, "I bet you wouldn't apply for this." Well, you, you know, should never say that to someone like me. But I was seriously scared that I'd be well arrested for wasting police time. <laughs> As we look to the future of the Do More Good podcasts, we've launched our very own Patreon page for those who want to support the show and help us keep delivering passion-filled interviews with those from across the social impact space. From just £3 per month, you can join our community with a personal acknowledgement, a chance to feature as a guest, and to become an official friend of the show. Any funds will help with creating the podcast and bringing our long list of ideas for episodes and live events to life. Please go to patreon.com forward slash pod. Thank you for listening. And so let's yes. come on to your session yes, yes. at IFC and, yes. and, and what you've been talking about. First session, Becoming the Fundraiser Everyone Wants <coughs> yeah, is yeah. the title, which I loved, actually. And James and I were both aspire to be that fundraiser that everybody <laughs> wants. <laughs> Tell us about the session. Tell us about the meat of the session and what were yeah. you looking to pass on as the kind of learning outcomes of it? Well, look, between you and me and everybody listening in... It could be how to be the anything anyone wants on their team. You know, substitute your your, your profession for that. But particular interest in fundraising because that's the field that I'm working with most of the time. This is about saying, what is it about certain people where they show up in a situation and you don't know their CV, but you just think, I want you. We, mm. we want you on the team. Mm. What is it about them? And it's not always about their skills. It will be about their approach, about the vibe they bring, about in a world now where everybody is turning away from work. I don't know if you've tried recruiting recently, <laughs> but I don't know where everyone is because they cannot all be in Cornwall. Right? <laughs> but but the, people are really turning away from ambition, career focus, all yeah. of those things that I suppose have driven me for nearly four decades. So I'm really interested to look at the kind of people who show up and you think, I just want to work with you. So the whole session is about breaking down what are those components. Mm. And I'm speaking with a fabulous colleague and client who's a fundraising director with pedigree mm. who embodies a lot of those characteristics, but also like has got it wrong as well. So we're talking about some of the lessons that really good fundraisers learn along the way. Yeah. Do you think they're quite traditional type of thing? What you're referring to there about turning up, but they're quite traditional sounding characteristics. And maybe the, the younger demographic that, w- that we're aiming haven't been around that as much. Is w- I'm just trying to understand a little mm. bit more about why we're not seeing those type of characteristics. Yeah, I, I don't know how good our sector has been at promoting those characteristics. Right. You know, we, we, we say we want people to show their initiative and be autonomous and then we wrap them up in structures that aren't enabling. They mm. aren't, you know, they're, they're very heavyweight. So I don't know how good the sector's been at attracting those characteristics. I watched the, the newer generation coming into work with utter fascination 
partly because I gave birth to three of them, but all, but also because I, they have so many qualities I admire. Like mm. you know, they're much braver than I was. They're much less hierarchy driven. However, they're not the street fighters that, that, that I came up through, through the ranks with. And so I think we need to get a little bit of that backbone back. I think we need to understand that failing is part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You yeah. get better because of that. Yeah. And being comfortable with that. Then, and I think you talked a little bit there about vulnerability in your presentation and showing mm. that as a more senior leader within the, the, th- the sector. Yes. You know, it sets that kind of role modelling for that. That's okay. It's it really right it, to it, fail. It really does, actually. And w- when I first got into this game, leaders were quite directive, lead from the front, show no fear, tell people what they need to do. And really now in leadership, it first of all, it's a bit about being adaptable, applying yourself in lots of different ways. But also it's about enabling. Mm. I-, I think we've got a lot to learn from the tech sector where the people at the top realise that the clever people are below them. Yeah. And yeah. all they need to do is enable them to be great. Yeah. Yeah. I listened to a podcast interview, I think it was Stephen Bartlett's this week with uh, the Airbnb founder. And actually, he talked about having very little hierarchy in the organisation, even though they're a multi-billion pound organisation, but yeah. still wanting to act like a startup. And actually, that seemed really relevant to your point about yeah. we don't need these lo- lots of layers of hierarchy that traditional organisations trust. Have. I think there's an element of trust. I think trust is probably more. Yeah. It was an interesting perspective, anyway. But going back to your session about backbone, about resilience particularly in the context of everything that's happened over the last few years when we've heard a lot of the negatives of Mm. that how is that something that people can work on and develop how do you encourage people who maybe have had a tough time Mm. to develop their own resilience what can you practical tips can you give them Uh, i think first of all it's acknowledging that when you are a little worn down as I think people are you're actually much more resilient than you think you are there's a difference between being exhausted and lacking resilience you know being tired chronically tired needs care needs care and needs needs a chance to repair but actually I think we're all more resilient now than we were four or five years ago having been through the rough and tumble of the last few years and it's about people understanding what resilience is I think a lot of people think resilience is I fight bravely through my tears you know even though I'm wounded I just carry on but it's not Mm. resilient people are really good at looking after themselves they're really good at taking a breath And also resilient people are really good at developing strong networks. So whether your network is small and select or whether it's wide and and, and varied, they realise that work isn't a lone sport and that strength is is developed through good networks, good relationships, good support. Yeah, Mm. that's a good point, actually, because I saw the word resilient and thought there could be negative connotations to that if you Mm. ask even in a job interview, perhaps, or a job spec that you're after people that are resilient, perhaps that suggests that the working environment isn't great and you'd need to be tough in order to do that. But Mm. actually, what you're saying there is is different. That it's people who are comfortable looking after themselves and are able to be confident enough to say... I need some time, I need some time off, I need this, I need that. But they, they, they know what they need yes. and they're able to apply it. I, I think so, yeah. And I also, like, I, I, this is one of the things that we talk about on the workshop. I've never yet seen a job ad with a person spec that says, we are looking for jaded, world-weary, <laughs> cynical, been there, done it all, nothing to learn. And, and almost sometimes people wear that, came back from my FC and I didn't learn anything, they almost wear that as a badge. Mm. And I think, didn't you? I, I, I learned loads. Mm. And, and I think there's something about resilient people keeping their eyes and ears open and being prepared to know that there's l- there's loads that you can learn even at a later stage of your career to just be better mm. it's almost an attitude thing isn't it it's an mm. attitude to it because I, th- I like the point you make about ifc and actually people coming here and thinking i didn't learn anything but actually 
if you just came in here with the right attitude, mm. the conversations you would have, the, mm. the the room to think, the the thought leaders you can hear on the stage, there's a lot of communication going on here. There's a lot of connection going on here that can actually all help if you've got the right attitude coming in. Yes. If you have that closed mindset coming in and you're like, well, okay, I'm, I'm, I know my job. I'm, I'm just here because my boss has told me to be here. Yeah. You won't get the benefit out no. of it. So how do we encourage our teams and our staff to be more open to outside influence because I think that's it's a point I'm personally quite interested in because I think it's been applicable to me in my career particularly kind of changing to the fundraising sector always being quite good at kind of the networking side and actually looking to my peers and getting advice and and building that network of people knowing that I'm no expert and I'm actually normally the dumbest person in the room so I need to leverage the expertise of others and keen to kind of pass on that type of approach to to my team and and other maybe more junior members of the team to say, you know, you're not going to find every answer in these four walls. Get out there, talk to people, have conversations. How do we encourage that in our team? I mean, I think the first thing you said is by doing it yourself. Mm. So by them seeing a really good example of someone who is learning and growing, and even if they're working at a senior level, they're quite gracious about their experience. They realise they don't know it all. But I think the other thing is making space for people to do it. So I, I remember when resilience first got a bit fashionable, I remember reading a really good article that said, providing great well-being for your team is not having fruit for them and a yoga lesson and then having impossible workloads lack of resources and bad leadership so I think some of this is about saying we value this so we're going to make space for you to do it Mm. so in a way just enabling people to come to IFC that's a major commitment time and financially that is an organization saying we value you and learning go out and make the best of it so I think some of it is about making the space and some of it is about showing them that you value people who are staying open and who want to grow Mm, yeah I like that you touched on two other traits key attributes for for good fundraisers high performance mindset which maybe fits into this if you're coming to things like this then perhaps you know you are looking to improve and uh, you have that and an approach which unites rather than divides yeah yeah so I don't know if you're watching this, but I'm really into a TV program called Welcome to Wrexham. Oh, um, yes. or, yeah. So you, you know about it. So it's all about yeah. the, the movie star and the, and the film star who've bought Wrexham Football Club, of a failing football club in Wales, because it is nothing about football and mm. everything about how you build things from the ground up. Mm. Some of the things that we talk about on the workshop is about what is the right mindset for high performance? What is the right approach? And it actually comes from some sports research that says that winning teams aren't just good at their sport. They share a common mindset, high on support, high on challenge. Mm. So in simply put, they prioritize relationships big time and they prioritize results big time. And it's the tension between the two that you value people, relationships, building trust, good, you know, good interactions. But you also realize that great teams don't just sit around nodding. Mm. Yeah, they, they, they debate, they discuss, they conflict with each other to get to a better end. And so the right mindset for high performance is high on support and challenge yeah. where you really are developing a committed environment. But you can only do that if you treat people like grown-ups. It doesn't work in a micromanagement, I've got my eye on you, or just an apathetic, just do the minimum kind of environment. Sounds like a weekly do more good planning session, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it um, challenging. It does uh, yeah, apart from the results, aren't they? Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, the you intention's know. good. We'll get there. We'll get there. 
so the session sounds amazing. Are you doing them again this week, or have you done now for so, your? No, I've, we've got we've got two more. We're doing it twice tomorrow. Twice so, tomorrow. So yeah, so late morning and early afternoon tomorrow. Yes, that sounds good. Uh, we might try and get along to that one, James, and uh, and check that one out. Yeah. Love that. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast uh, live from the International Fundraising Congress in 2023. Just wanted to talk to you a little bit about IFC. Yeah. Obviously, we're here. This is our second time of being here. We think it's great. I think there's there's something about people being together in the same room. There's something about people coming that have got a shared purpose. We're all working in the social good, not-for-profit, charity sector. Just wondering how your experience has been. How many times have you been and, and, and what have you taken away from it in the past? I've been about 10 times. I started, I think I first came in 2001. I try to not come every year because I don't want people to go, oh, her again. You know, I, 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 I really, that. yeah, I, re- I, re- <laughs> I really don't. I've never not had a, a good experience here. First of all, I think it is, I do quite a lot of conferences. It's very well run. It's extremely right. well run and that helps with speakers. But I think the other thing is most of us are kettled into one building. Mm. So you really do network. Mm, and yeah. for people who are thinking networking, bleh, you know, it might be having a really meaningful conversation with one person or it might be working the room. But I think that I've been to some conferences before where people are just bussing themselves in and bussing out again. The social here is outstanding. Yeah. And I think the other thing is there really is something for everyone. Mm. So your fundraising uh, is a massive wide discipline and we we tend to talk about it as a job but there are so many jobs in that and then you've got people like me who who are looking at it from a point of view of leaders and teams and how you develop and grow there is pretty much in every session something that everyone can go to Mm. also the other thing is it's called the international fundraising congress it is international so i've been to one before where you think yeah, but everyone's like everyone's from the UK, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or you know, most people. The biggest delegation is from the United States. It feels international it here, does. and if you if you move around, you will meet people from such a range of countries, and that's rich because what is happening and succeeding in one part of the world will not necessarily in another. So I've learned a lot through that. Yeah, I think that really we'd really connect with that, didn't we? The conversations that we've had with people from a number of different countries, and and I think they said this morning during the. Uh, the welcome session that it was 80 countries mm. represented Incredible. Yeah, like lot, that. Yeah. Um, yeah. and actually they've all got a different way a different slant on fundraising a unique culture a different bring something different to the table which yes. as we've touched on already i think we had a conversation over dinner last night just sat down at the table with a with a gentleman and talked to him but and his experience was we could have sat there for three hours couldn't yeah. we wow. yeah, i'd have happily listened to him for three hours yeah it was he was unbelievable yeah what are you hoping to get out of it over the next couple of days? Have you got aims as you arrive here that you want to you know, pack into the suitcase for, for when you head home? I, I've got some business aims. So I think that in our business, we've got a responsibility to be reading trends and responding to them. We had really good practice at that during the pandemic where we need to respond quickly to what people needed and without blowing our own horn too much. I think we did that quite well. So for me, it's about what are people saying? What's the mood here? What do people need? I'm all about leadership development, team development. What do people need to be fully supported in the next couple of years? And I've already picked up some stuff that I think will influence our direction and what we offer our clients. So partly that bit of learning for me Mm. sometimes you go into a session and you think i need to up my game i'm out of step with what's going on so a bit of learning from me and you know unashamedly to see some mates and colleagues that i only ever get to see here that is such a joy and you yeah you stay in touch on social media but it's not quite the same so we see you know we can see your full body experience yeah absolutely i was going to ask just a little bit more about your organization then what does a typical 
customer look like for you in the, in the charity sector? And just mm. tell us a little bit about how you operate. Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose at any one time, about 70% of our clients are in this sector. So we, right. we have commercial clients as well. But typically... I would say that our most frequent clients are medium-sized nonprofits, where they've got a bit of money to spend, but mm. they haven't got a huge internal infrastructure. So they're used to using external people. They really value that. We work with a lot of the big names as well, and we work with tiny, tiny organisations. But I would say that what often what happens is people either met us at a conference or work with us in another organisation, or we're not famous or anything. It's mm. about knowing people and we might be brought in to do something like a management program or a leadership program and then from that will come some individual coach you could you work with this person or yeah. could you help us develop a program or could you give us some some help on developing our our values and behaviors and it just kind of snakes from there and mm. I, I would say you know we do one-offs mm. but our most satisfying work is when we're working closely with an organization over a period of time I love that and are there common themes that you see maybe historically that you've seen over the years or is things more recently that you're seeing cropping up frequently you know, a really interesting theme in the, the 26 years is don't neglect good, solid management development. And organisations do, I'm afraid. So I think we've been through... What do you mean by that? Sorry, just, get, just to... Okay, so we, we've been through probably about three recessions in the time that we've been, and people cut stuff during that time. And one of the things that often gets cut is training managers to be managers. Right. And yeah. then you don't get any immediate effect. But a couple of years later, people are saying, our managers don't know what they're doing. Our mm. teams are really unhappy. Mm. What's going on? There's a, there's a skill gap here. And it's like, yeah, that's because you, you dropped that a few years ago. So I, I would say in the last cut management development wasn't cut which I thought was brilliant and it's amazing how we've seen a return to we need to skill our managers up because they are either responsible for leading empowered motivated teams or people who are miserable and who are trying to leave their jobs so I think that one of the trends we've seen is the value of really putting time into managers yeah that's yeah, really that's interesting mm. really so interesting. it makes sense it, makes it does make sense that you're asking sense. those people to to look after others yeah and you're not giving them the skills in order to be able to do that uh, i yeah. think so i'd yeah. love to see uh, this is happening in the sector but i'd love to see what we see more commercially which is there's been a recognition that not everybody makes a good manager yeah so if the only way that you get paid more or you get more status or you move up an organization is through management you're going to get bad managers mm. so my husband works in the it sector and they're really good there at creating what i call boffin jobs be a real expert be a key influencer mm. in the organization but you don't have to manage a team yeah. and that means that you've got people being really good at what they're doing and not being unhappy as managers or making other people unhappy so i'd love to see a bit more of that going on where there's a route to development and advancement that isn't necessarily in management i think james might get the boffin job at the do more good podcast for his planning and preparation the document that he put together before we got here that he very kindly slipped to me on the train over and said don't worry, I've done the prep. Yeah. Just look at it. It's on that table now. It's a thing of beauty. It's, it's <laughs> branded. I mean, it's planned to the letter. You are definitely the boffin of the day. I need, I need you in my life. I yeah. really do. Every, everybody needs yeah. a James. Everybody needs like, a James. Um, it feels like I'm in a one-to-one on my annual <laughs> yeah, review yeah, now. Yeah, it's yeah, a good yeah. management Tell us what value. Good management. Management. Good feedback. Yeah, yeah. Tell good us what feedback. value you've added yeah. this year. Yeah. I think the other thing to mention is that when um, coaching first appeared as a thing, to, as a way to develop people, it was considered an extravagance. Why would you spend money on one? 
one person mm. and now people realize you just get so much more value that way yeah. because if everything you do is sheep dip you know everything you do is put p- same people through the same things right. they, they respond in different ways so i've seen coaching go from being something that is you know you only get at executive level to being something you know we're training managers now to be coaches yeah. because you get so much more from people yeah. uh, so i think coaching's not going anywhere i think we're, that, that that's here to stay yeah and particularly when as organisations we talk about caring for other people mm. and we're looking outside at our beneficiaries, you know, our staff are going through, if it's a cost of living crisis, our staff are going through that as well. They're, they're yes. people as much as our beneficiaries are. We talk about tailored supporter journeys and our, and our staff are all individuals as well. So like yeah. you say, that coaching one-to-one, yeah. why don't we treat the internal environment much as we would the external audiences as well so so true it's, yeah. it's very true yeah yeah i i, I think i think we, there are a lot of lessons to be learned about how we treat our people and how we treat our colleagues i saw more silo working when i entered the sector than i ever saw commercially mm. and people are almost rewarded for like, staying in the lane staying mm. in their own area yeah. as she said at the masterclass today if we really want people to collaborate there's got to be something in it for me mm. so i'm not going to collaborate with you if all you're going to do is just bleed me dry Mm. for all my knowledge and time and experience so I think helping people to collaborate more and see the value in it and just treat people as valued colleagues would be helpful yeah Mm. look Helena I think we could sit here and talk all night keeping an eye on the clock but before we let you go there's a a night that you've probably experienced several times before at the IFC on Thursday evening which is the the gala (laughs) night now I'm expecting you'll have a good answer to this question about what's your outfit (laughs) <laughs> well I, I mean I think I think the outfit was really stressful this time <laughs> because we were given such a free choice we go that you know it's such a free choice but all I'm saying like, I'm not giving I'm no spoilers but all okay. I'm saying is it's rare on a night out that you don't find me in gold lame <laughs> I will say oh. I will say no more. Oh, James, Damn, you're not push. the only one. We're <laughs> <laughs> oh no, the awkwardness of the same outfit. Oh dear. All right. Um, before we let you go, yes. we're going to need you to um, just pick one of these cards. Oh my goodness. All right. Yeah. So they have questions on the other side. So if you could pick one for us, read out the question and give us your answer, that would be wonderful. My goodness, the stress. Okay, I'm going to take this one. Good choice. Even good if choice. I get good choice. Have, have we rigged this? Have we rigged this? <laughs> You're the second person to have asked that. You're okay, so the... Qu- oh, love this. Okay, so the question is, if you could give your 20-year-old self some advice, what would it be? I still feel 20. That's my problem. <laughs> you know, I learn. Yeah, what would, my, what, what would my advice be? Okay, so my advice would be, life is short. Get on with it, okay? Mm. Better to do it and think mm, okay that could have been better done afterwards than hesitate to do it so I think I would give myself that advice yep. I would also give myself the advice that said you are never going to have more energy than you have now mm. stay in the game value it never look for I'll be better next year or there'll be more time next year there never is you could, my, my advice is a lot about urgency and I think my final bit of advice would be to say you probably won't find a cure for cellulite but keep trying <laughs> <laughs> I do I do love that question. We have that question at the end of our podcast. We've had it for for a while. I've never asked you that question, James. What what advice oh, would you oh give? Oh yeah, come yourself? on, I want to know. Well I quite liked your answer actually. What about go cellulite? for it. Yeah, the cellulite <laughs> one mainly. But also the go for it thing. Because mm. I think you do put stuff off and I'll do that next year or I'll plan for that next year or you know, mm. I'm not quite I haven't quite got time to do that right now. Whereas if I think I'd spoken to my twenty year old self, I would have said, make that change, go for it, do what you're gonna end up doing anyway. Just mm. you know you're gonna do it. Do it now, commit to it, all in. 
Yeah. yeah. Set up that podcast with Kenneth. Ke- podcasts aren't a thing yet, but invent it. Find Kenneth Foreman. He's out there somewhere in Cambridge. Set That's up the it. podcast. Almost like a prophet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. I wouldn't have known what I was talking about. I think mine would have been taking more risks in terms of career and, and yeah. opportunities. I think it's that such an... Especially... I know we all diff- we all grow up in different generations, but it felt like for me at twenty year old self, you were on that kind of you got to go to university, then you come out and you get a job, and that was kind of formulaic with how it was meant to go. Mm. And actually, I think what the experience of the last twenty two years has taught me is that actually you could have taken more risks at that point. So yeah, yeah. yeah. never too late. That's what never too late. Never no, too late. Absolutely. So, so my, I'm sure this isn't podcast material, but my mummy is ninety today. Oh wow! Yeah. And um, she's rocking it. I mean, I, fo- I, I did a FaceTime to wish her happy birthday. And she said, I'm at French class. Can I call you back? <laughs> I think also having s- having some really good examples around you about how it never has to end if you don't no. want it to. Just yeah. keep going. Yeah. Well, I mean, 20 or 90, do it now. Go for it. Because yeah, yeah. you'll be looking back on that at 95 thinking, God, I wish I'd done those French lessons. When oh, I was, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely stuff. Right. Nice we'll one. We'll wrap it up there. Helena, thank you so much thank you. for your time. If anyone... Wants to find you on socials or website? Where can they go? Guess what? I'm the only Helena Sharpstone on the internet, so I'm really easy to find. So just link with me on LinkedIn. Our website, sharpstoneskinner.co.uk, has got loads of free stuff on it, blogs, guides, our views and thoughts and hints and tips on leading and team development. And yeah, and send me an email. I love to hear from people. But Helena Sharpstone, that is me. Perfect. <laughs> Lastly <laughs> stuff. All Thank right, you, James. Helena Sharpstone. Any final thoughts? Well, I hear there's a job going with Avon and Somerset Police, so <laughs> I'm going to get my <laughs> application in tonight. <laughs> Not for the faint-hearted. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Lovely stuff. Cheers. Right. Thanks. Just before we go, can we ask you a favour? If you enjoyed this episode and you made it this far after all and want to help us reach more people and attract more guests, then we'd really love a review on iTunes. Alternatively, if you haven't got anything nice to say, then say it in an email. Get in touch at contact at domoregood.uk and let us know how we can improve the show. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another story of someone doing more good.